This episode of the Door County Pulse podcast is brought to you in part by the Door County Community Foundation, inspiring people to give back, to sustain, and advance the community that we love. To learn more, visit givedoorcounty.org. Welcome to the Dora County Pulse podcast. My name is Deborah Fitzgerald, editor of The Pulse. And today I have in the podcast studio in Bailey's Harbor, Tony Kishonis. Tony, welcome. Thank you very much. So then listeners are saying, who is Tony Kishonis? And Tony Kishonis is the director of research for the Ridges Sanctuary. So Tony is the first director of research that the Ridges has ever had. And he was recently hired. And uh, quid pro quo, I just recently joined the board of the Ridges. So September was my first official meeting, though their onboarding process is quite long. So I have been involved over the past few months. And I thought it would be a great opportunity to sit down and talk with you, Tony, because A, the uniqueness of your position, and also B, the first time I met you was going on a tour of the Ridges, and you climbed over one of the railings and laid down on your stomach to show us some of the research that was going on with an orchid. So that was my introduction to you. I remember that well, Deb, and <laughs> I, I really appreciate the opportunity to be here today. Thank you. Okay. And I, and I think it's important, too, because the mission of the Ridges, you know, in Bailey's Harbor, it, it is to protect the sanctuary and inspire stewardship of natural areas through programs and education and research. Now, I think that the educational component of it is more well-known. You know, there's the Festival of Nature, there is the Dragonfly Nature Preschool. There are ongoing classes. I mean, there are always classes, you know, for something at the Ridges. And then people just love walking there. The trails are beautiful. Absolutely, It's an absolutely gorgeous place to be. The range lights, of course, are probably one of the most photographed, you know, icons in Dora County. But then there is the research. So let's talk a little bit about what your position will be overseeing. Okay, very good. The idea behind the director of research is based upon the fact that we do have a lot of research going on and we need to consolidate those programs under one particular umbrella. Okay. And we also then have a, a tremendous amount of citizen science that we'll be overseeing as we make our, our way forward from here. We've got some great programs currently in place, but we hope to expand the offerings in, in our citizen science venue also as, as the days go by. So realistically, we're, we're trying to get a, a consolidation and we're trying to institutionalize the research program and then carry it forward with a lot of opportunities that we see presenting uh, as time goes on. Now. Okay. Now, this is not you coming on as the part-time director of research. It's not a new thing, the Ridges, for you. So let's talk a little bit about your background before we get into some of the things that you are actively involved with. Okay, absolutely. Uh, I came on board at the Ridges Sanctuary in 2013, primarily with the kids' camps, and then I was doing quite a bit of hike leading at that point in time. And as time went by, as things morphed, uh, I was with the kids' camps the following summer and very involved with the Family Discovery Trail. And then one day, our, our land director at the time said, hey, we've got a guy here from Illinois College that would like to take us out and smell some orchid roots. 
And being a child of the 60s, I said, well, that sounds kind of cool. <laughs> so uh, we happened to be with uh, Larry Zettler during that outing. And Larry Zettler is one of the world-renowned orchid mycologists. He does a lot hmm. with the uh, fungus uh, relationship with the orchids. And it was a wonderful opportunity. And ever since that, that first sniff of an orchid root that contained this special fungus, we've been morphed into that particular position more with the orchid restoration research program. The program had started off initially in about 2013, and we had some things that just needed continuance then as, as staff changes and things happened. So I kind of inherited the program and have been trying to move it forward from there. Okay. Now, what is your background? My background, uh, I grew up uh, in northern Wisconsin on a, on a farming woodsy area, and uh, St. Norbert College is my undergrad in biology, and I've been teaching for 42 years now since that time. That's back when you can start when you were eight years old, so uh, <laughs> that, that's how that works. Okay, that's um, great. Uh, so basically teaching biology down at Southern Door High School, uh, the anatomy, physiology, advanced placement biology, and we did have a, a research class also. So that was where we got our start, and then Again, as, as family life changes, our daughter was, you know, we were empty nesters and looking for some different opportunities and thinking, yeah, there's going to come a day when I'm not going to be in the classroom. The Ridges offered me some wonderful opportunities to be up here then, so it doesn't get much better than hanging out in the woods and, and hanging out with really, really great folks. The, the one thing that truly impressed me when I started up here was just the, the people, mm. uh, uh, volunteers, staff community members, just really very impressive folks up here. Yeah, they really do have a great contingent of volunteers and people are very passionate, you know, right. about the Absolutely. ridges. So you and your wife moved to Door County for your teaching position in Southern Door? Well, that's kind of an interesting story there, Deb, that someday uh, you and I can probably uh, go <laughs> through that, but not necessarily. Uh, oh, okay. Or, but basically I, I, I had been teaching at Southern Door for a year and my wife took a position uh, the following year. Oh. And uh, through numerous things, uh, we ended up then marrying and, and settling in the Door County area down okay. in Sturgeon Bay. Awesome. So then the Ridges is something that I always think of the Ridges as a Northern Door thing, you know, but it's not really, right? I mean, it's it's reach, are people aware of the Ridges south of Bailey's Harbor? People are aware and I think are becoming more aware, but there, there was probably a time when there's been a change. There's mm -hmm. been a morphing of that particular perception and again, part of our goals and part of what we've been in discussion with is how can we reach into other areas of the county. Okay. So then your time with the Ridges in, in terms of doing research began with sniffing orchid roots. Yes. So, so what does that have to do with anything? Well, the orchids are, are an incredibly bizarre plant, even in the plant world. And they have to have a close association with a fungus throughout at least part of their life cycle, and in many cases, their entire life cycle. And one of the missing pieces of, of a lot of people's puzzle in orchid research is what that fungus role is for the life cycle of that particular plant, and how can we identify at what point in time the orchid needs the fungus, and then what that fungus is. Hmm. So that's one of the, the missing pieces and the question marks that we have and something that we have been working with actually the Smithsonian Institution for trying to identify some of these fungal partners. And also UWGB has done quite a bit of work with us 
to try to identify some of these fungal partners that these orchids need. So then smelling the roots is one way to identify? Dr. Zettler from Illinois College, he's, he's the man for orchid, the association with the fungus in really the world. There are two names that consistently come up uh, mm. in this country. And uh, Larry Zettler is one and Melissa McCormick is another one. And if I've got a world expert saying, here, take a sniff and you'll know when you smell it, <laughs> you know, I'm not going to raise my eyebrows and wonder what the heck's going on. Because, did you know when you smelled you it? You know, it's incredible, but we did. Hmm, there was, interesting. A, there was a, a, not, not just myself, but a couple others were there and we all kind of looked at each other when he said it, you know, kind of like, oh boy. But it, it was one of those really incredible things. Do you have to dig up the orchid in order to be able to smell the root? That you have to expose the roots. Expose and, it. Okay. So you're not actually no, digging it up to, okay. No. And that's something done with great caution, of course, because yes. you can cause obvious damage to a plant, but it's there. And it was one of those weird things that Okay. And maybe that's, I don't know. Well, hopefully we won't have a bunch of listeners going to the ridges and getting down on their bellies trying to smell the orchid roots because they could cause some damage in that way. I, I would probably feel guilty for a couple seconds on that okay. one. Okay. So. <laughs> How many species of orchid? Now, orchids are something that the ridges are renowned for. If we look back at the history uh, with the Albert Fuller Association, in many people's opinions, there are two factors why the ridges are even in existence from, from an organizational standpoint. And the range lights are certainly the driving cause, but also the fact that on that range light property, there were a number of orchid species growing. Mm. And Albert Fuller was a botanist out of Milwaukee who had been coming up to Door County for a number of years, who really had a passion for all plants, but orchids in particular. And with the number of species that Albert saw on this, this property that the range lights were on, he was very adamant that when there was not a, a certainty about what should happen to that property, he riled up enough of the local people that we've got to protect this area for all plants, but his passion was orchids. Okay. So we've got that deeply rooted uh, association with the orchids up here because of Albert Fuller and the others. Okay. So the sanctuary portion of it is there for a reason. I mean, it really is to try and protect the orchids and, and the rest of the natural areas and the flora and fauna that are there. Oh, very much so. Okay. You know, pres preserve and protect is, is the mantra that we have. And the orchids are, are a big part of that. Sure. How many species of orchids are there on the ridges? Do we know? We, we have a pretty good idea as we sit here today that we're up to about 29 terrestrial orchid species identified on sanctuary property. Wow. Now, there are a couple that we have some suspicions about in terms of that number may increase, and we, we've got a great team of people out year-round. We've got a team out there trying to locate these orchids and identify. In fact, there have been two species recently found on property that are, are actually quite rare in the state of Wisconsin also. Interesting. So then... Do they bloom all at one time? No. We have some very early bloomers about the same time as the lake iris, in fact, and we have some blooming as we speak, Deb. Okay. So then are some of the areas where these orchids have been discovered, are they protected? Like you don't really want to put that information out there because they are so rare? One of the, the criteria that we have for anyone that we take off trail looking for orchids, we, we have a very good communication with them about 
the priorities we have for divulging information about where they are found. And we have people that go out are so aware of this that they will actually take photographs of their photographs so that there aren't any GPS leaks or oh. uh, any coordinate type of, of things happening out there if things get posted. This episode of the Door County Pulse podcast is brought to you in part by Door County Medical Center. Are you looking for a job in Door County with excellent benefits, culture, and potential for advancement through tuition reimbursement programs? Door County Medical Center is hiring. For more than 75 years, Door County Medical Center has been the leader in health and wellness for Door and Kiwani counties. Their integrated medical center provides a wide range of specialties, including primary care, behavioral health, general surgery, the Women and Children's Center, the Door Orthopedic Center, the Door County Cancer Center, and more. To join the team, apply today at dcmedical.org slash careers. Some of Door County's best stargazing happens indoors. Every year at Door Community Auditorium, we present a star-studded lineup of concerts featuring artists like Brandy Carlisle, The Lumineers, Jason Isbell, Mavis Staples, Billy Strings, Beach Boys, and Buddy Guy. You're now listening to Marty Stewart and his fabulous superlatives returning to our stage in Fish Creek, October 22nd. Visit dcauditorium.org for a full calendar of upcoming events and to get your tickets today. Let's talk about the research that's being done on them, because it was the first time when I saw you lying down on the ground. You weren't smelling the roots, but nope. you were you were talking <laughs> about the different kinds of research that is being done on the orchids. And, and my main takeaway, and you can correct me if I'm wrong about this, but my main takeaway from the whole program was that you're trying to learn what types of conditions these orchids need to exist in order to help perpetuate those conditions if need be in the future, like if a tree, if it needs a certain amount of sunlight and a cedar tree is growing and then obscuring that source, then there need to be some maybe measures taken. Or if the soil has changed um, because our, you know, uh, climate is changing, then you need to take certain measures. I mean, that was my takeaway is that you're studying these elements to try and understand how they grow so that if conditions change, you can help them continue to grow. That's a superb takeaway, Doug. Well, thank you. That's well, a- that was your <laughs> lesson. So you did uh, a fantastic job. That's a, an absolutely superb takeaway. And, okay. you know, I, I would like to read a quote that kind of encompasses what, what we're getting after. And okay. that is, perhaps lack of knowledge is as big a threat as any to sensitive species. And that's accredited to Marjorie with a name I can't pronounce at the end of things, harder than mine even. Okay. <laughs> but this was a, a study, and, and it, I really embraced that, that we have to gain as much knowledge as we possibly can about these habitat conditions and growing conditions. If we are to do any conservation work, any relocation, any restoration, any translocation work with our orchid population and other plant populations, we have to gain as much knowledge as possible. I'm not a big believer in the Johnny Appleseed approach where we simply <laughs> cast seeds where they will. Mm. Orchids are, are precious, as all plants, are precious commodities. 
and we need to be as judicious as possible with the allocation of these resources. So what we've been attempting to do since 2013 with research plots, planted research plots and then comparative wild plots, is, okay, what are these magic, I refer to as the Goldilocks spots, where it's not too but just right for these orchids to grow, that when we do look at some translocation or restoration work, we will have a very clear idea to maximize the potential for success for the utilization of these resources. And our hope is that this model can then be translated and transferred to other species, for example, lake iris, for example, a dunes thistle, for example, a sea rocket that we recently found on property, which is a a special concern plant. And our hope is that we can establish these protocols that we're not simply turning around three times and pointing a direction for trying to translocate these plants and come up with areas where we may have to have refuge type areas as our climate's changing, we may have to be in in rapid response mode. So I'm hoping that this is a proactive approach to a time that I pray never comes, but may Okay. for translocating these plants. Of the 29 species, roughly, that have been identified, how many have been transplanted into plots? Our primary focus right now is on five species. Okay. We have the one species of the ram's head lady slipper orchid, which are in our research plots, both planted plots, and we, we have established uh, plots out in the wild where we found the species growing. So okay. we have our comparative. We're going to be now looking at the uh, showy lady slipper. We're going to be doing more work with the yellow lady slipper, the grass pink orchid, and then the pink moccasin lady slipper. Those are our initial five target species. Okay. So I can see this morphing into, in my own mind, I would like to continue working with the ram's head. Certainly we've got a great start and we'd like to continue on with that. But I can also see then using the same protocols for some of these other species with the, la- the uh, showy lady slipper being at least next up on my list and then probably the pink moccasin. Okay. Now, can you describe some of the ways in which you study the existing habitat of the native plants so that you can recreate that for the transplanted ones? Okay. What we're doing with with all the plots is we we measure plant morphology, leaf length, height, width, the whole concept there. We also have some monitors set up for soil temperature, soil moisture, and you mentioned before the importance of the sunlight aspect. So we have electronic monitors that collect data on this for us. We also have done work with soil pH, and we're just starting to now scratch the surface with planting seeds in containers known as seed baiting, where we're hoping to collect fungal samples as we attract or as the seeds make contact with these fungi in the soil. Hmm. So those are some of the factors we're looking at. So then how do you monitor, for instance, the sunlight? We've got a, a device known as a hobo monitor. So we've got the hobos of the ridges, we call them. And uh, through grants from the San Diego County Orchid Society and also the Rob Davis grant, we've been able to deploy 15 of these electronic sensing devices that have a little unit on them that is collecting up the data. It's kind of like a a hard drive, as it were. And then we have different sensors then that uh, modularly connect into this particular device that will collect up the sunlight and what's known as the photosynthetic active radiation parameters. Interesting. So then how far, like you put the sensor down or 
one of the hobos. Is that what you call mm-hmm. it? A hobo. Yep. And does it take data from the entire plot? We try to center the monitor in the middle of the plot. It's not getting the entire plot, and that would be very difficult to get that. But the way we've set them up is we hope to get as much as we can to give us this idea. And the soil pH, isn't that pretty standard? Like you take it once and then you know what it needs? Oh, boy. No. Okay. Uh, <laughs> See, that's uh, what I do with my garden. I think, oh, all right. I have just figured out what the soil is, and now that's what it's going to be into perpetuity. Uh until it, I fix it. Until you fix it. That would yes. be nice. Um, right. But I, I think many people that are familiar with plants understand that soil pH is one of those things that can be incredibly tricky to maneuver. Hmm. And with the, out in the natural world, the pH can fluctuate dramatically based on such things as you get an increased decomposition because you've got a little bit more moisture in the soil. Your increased decomposition can then alter a pH in a region. Hmm. It's a little bit drier. You may have a little bit of a difference. And in Door County, we've got so many different factors playing on to the pH of our soils up here that it really is quite, it's quite dynamic. Okay. So then is it dynamic even within one plot? So one orchid might have a certain pH in the soil, but the, its neighboring orchid, like an inch away, would have a different one? Yes, theoretically, that is in fact happening, and we did have um, we did have some multiple pH measurements from uh, plots that did indicate that it's not necessarily consistent from one corner to the next of even one of our research plots. When we did our sustainability issue a couple years ago, it was on trees. And one of the things that, well, there are a lot of things that I learned doing that issue, how fascinating trees are, but was the fungal network that trees rely upon in order to get information, you know, in order to get nutrients even. The fungus that you're talking about with the orchids, is it similar? Are they connected by this fungal network? Yes and no, and maybe, and we don't know a lot of answers to those questions, Deb. Got it. Uh, what, what we do know is that there are some species of orchids, the genus is called the coral arise or the coral root orchids. And we've got a number of those particular species of that genus up here. That particular orchid does not photosynthesize. Hmm. So it's completely dependent upon its fungal partnership in the ground. By all studies that have crossed our paths, that fungus that's providing the orchid nutrients has a direct connection to a tree root system where it's almost as if the, the fungus is taking the nutrients that the tree is producing and then feeding some of these nutrients to the orchid that it's supporting in its root system. Interesting. So if something were to happen to the tree, it could essentially or, or ostensibly like annihilate an entire plot of orchids that are using that tree as its nutrient partner. Yes. When you say that an orchid doesn't photosynthesis, do you mean that it doesn't need sun? It doesn't, either it doesn't need sun or has evolved the capacity with that little friend underneath the soil that it sees no reason to expend the energy developing the mechanism for photosynthesis. That's very interesting. So there is a lot of stuff going on with orchids. 
There is. And it sounds like that's what, where you've spent primarily most of your time prior to taking this position. Just a, It was just a couple of months ago, wasn't it? True. Okay. So the other things that are going on, we have the watershed study, the Heinz Emerald Dragonfly, and citizen science. So at some point, I think you were mentioning that all of those things you were going to gather together and, and, and keep under one departmental umbrella. In conjunction with our land manager position also, okay. it, it's kind of a duality going on here because of the interrelatedness of those two uh, particular areas. Right. But ideally, we have one, let's say, clearinghouse type of, of person where a question comes in regarding the Heinz Emerald, for example that could then be directed toward myself or that position to at least then get the communication out to the appropriate people or handle it uh, myself or that position. So that it's also a resource for the community in in those particular areas. Very much so. Citizen science has been a big aspect of the ridges. Can you talk a little bit about that? Oh, absolutely. I'm inherently a very, very selfish person, Deb. And by surrounding with the people that are currently involved in our citizen science endeavors, I'm able to tap into incredible knowledge base folks and also just good people to be around. Mm. And that allows me to be like the orchid with the fungus. I can benefit (laughs) tremendously from those people that are are currently involved in our citizen science endeavors. I really like that metaphor. It's unseen, (laughs) but the web connects us all. Yes. So realistically, what, what we currently have with our citizen science program, many, many of our citizen science endeavors are, in fact, part of our orchid research. And we've got our orchid trekkers, we've got our shade house people, we've got people monitoring our plots, uh, we've got people that are, are part of the propagation uh, endeavors we have, part of our citizen science. We've also expanded this, this current year into a, a total plant inventory of the sanctuary. Wow. The last full plant inventory was done uh, on the sanctuary proper back in 1983 published. So, hmm. you know, we're, we're getting about time to, uh, to get a better idea about how things have changed. Have they stayed the same? What's different? And then going forward from there. So we have collected a team of people Uh, in the citizen science realm that will be working on a plant inventory and in fact have started off with some of our more recent acquisition properties. That sounds like a huge undertaking. You know, it it is, but I'm very confident in the team that have stepped forward and are willing to participate. And again, they've made great progress just in this very, very short amount of time that we've been going through with this. But we also have great partnerships there with UWGB. a gentleman that does a lot of work at Toft has been very, very helpful with us and, in fact, will be meeting with us at the end of this month to continue on with this process. So it does give an opportunity for great partnerships. And, as I say, these are great people to be hanging around with. Sure. And that was one thing that I noticed uh, when you were doing your tour. There was a group of people, obviously, that, that you're leading, but then somebody would point something out, and then a member of the group, you would say, you know, Jody, uh, weren't you an astronaut who actually landed on the moon and walked on it and can tell us a little bit about that rock? And she would be like, why, yes, I can. <laughs> so you did that a couple of times with several of the people who were experts in their fields. Right. They're now retired. 
They now live up here, but they were experts in their fields of some in botany or some aspect of what we were looking at. And, and, and they were able to give us a very detailed understanding of what we were looking at just as one of the members of the group. Absolutely. And that's, again, part of how we are so blessed with our, our all of our volunteers up here at the Ridges. I'm obviously in more direct contact with our citizen science volunteers. Yes. And there's not a day that I, I spend with them that's worth probably about a month of grad classes in terms of what, <laughs> what I gain. As I say, I'm quite selfish in this. And yeah, I, well. I, I learn tremendous amounts from these people that I'm, I'm fortunate enough to be part of uh, the teams with. Right. And they call it citizen science because... It's generally people that just want to be involved with the scientific aspect of a program, whether it's the ridges or whether it's it's point A, point B around the world. People just want to be a part of this because of their inner passions for the environment in which they're living. Okay. And they, they bring a lot to the table, but we also hope that they can gain from the process. And... Yeah, give science a better name than it currently has. I mean, that's a, a major focus right now, too. Okay. So now, why did you want to have this job and to do this position? What excites you about this? What excites me about this is the combination of the sanctuary itself and the people. As I say, I like to hang around people that make me better. And the people up here certainly do that. I married for that reason, I married well for that reason, <laughs> and I spent time at Southern Door for that reason, and now I'm fortunate enough to be able to spend time up here with people that have a passion for this land that make me a better person. Just their passion rubs off. And that's a big part of it, but there's also never a day that I go out there and don't learn something from the land. Our land manager and myself were out yesterday at Logan Creek, and there were things we saw out there that I've never seen before. Really? And that's and today there will be something else, and tomorrow there will be something else. So that's, that's a big part of it too, Deb. Well, make sure that your wife listens to this podcast. <laughs> but can you give us some idea of the types of things that you've never seen before? I walk at Logan Creek a lot because it's closer to, you know, we just kind of cut over on I, and so I'm okay. always over at Logan Creek. I, I really love that property, and I think it's um, perhaps not as known or utilized maybe as the main bridges property, but it is just a, a beautiful place with, it looks like very different habitats. You know, you have the more wetland kind of hobbit looking like <laughs> forest. <laughs> and then you walk into this like complete hardwood area, you know, that, that looks like, uh, you know, the forest in my backyard. It just is a beautiful property. It, it certainly is, Deb. And we were down there yesterday. Again, uh, the intent was looking for some possible invasive species. Oh. And we were trying to walk the shoreline and... Just right in front, right as we made a corner, there was a, a hemlock tree growing out of another stump that appeared to be growing on another stump. Interesting. And the root system of the hemlock was just very, very fascinating to me. And then further on, there were two things actually yesterday down there at Logan. The different shoreline dynamics in different spots of the property along Clark Lake. Now, Clark Lake was an old bay of Lake Michigan many years ago, and the, you know, the shorelines form, and but there were just some weird formations there that we were then in, in conversation with uh, Sam 
trying to figure out, okay, what could have been the reasons for these things? Hmm. And then suddenly they were gone and there were no, there was no shoreline evidence. And then it started up again. And just all these unique things that you don't, you can see these unique things every day. Yes. And, and the hemlock, I don't know, we'll call it origami down there (laughs) is really very, very fascinating. I mean, there are some very strange manipulations. Oh, yes. Around the boardwalks, especially, you know, those little boardwalks where the, the hemlocks are saying, nope, we're going <laughs> to grow here. So what about the watershed study? Is there much to talk about there? I think that anytime you bring up the, the term watershed in Dora County, there can be a, a tremendous plethora of things to look at mm-hmm. with that. And again, with not getting into a great deal of, of depth with the geology here, we all in the county are, are aware of and should be aware of some of the different dynamics of our hydrogeology that occurs up here. And because of, of how the ridges are located geographically and also then the dynamics with the geology that play in, watershed studies are critical up here because of our ridge swale complex, our proximity to the lake. We've got a lot of shoreline property that, that we're stewards of. And you mentioned the Logan Creek property also. That is very, very important then in terms of what these dynamics are. Mm. And as spending time out in the swale areas and spending time out in the, the bush areas out here, some of the swales, it's very, very obvious, have a very, very direct connection and then are influenced by Lake Michigan. When the lake was so high, these swales were inundated. Mm. Some of the swales... I do not think have any kind of direct relationship with that lake, the lake as, as we know it. So we, we also have a lot of different springs. We also have some drainage areas. So it's just an all very, very unique type of situation and more so here with our ridge and swale complex. Right. And the, the swales, sometimes they have more water, sometimes none have any water. Right. So those definitely vary as well. I mean, it, it, it could... It could really be an entire wetland complex. I mean, sometimes it seems like it's far wetter than other times or more flooded in those swales. Very much so. so. Have you identified yet any needs that you have? You talk about the people that you are working with in terms of the, you know, the volunteers, the vast network that you have, the experience and knowledge that they bring to their volunteering. Are there any holes? Are there any places where you could use people with knowledge of certain things that you don't have an abundance of? What we have come to realize is that we cannot exist in a bubble. And what we're trying to really do, and we've been fortunate to receive very positive communication thus far with reaching out to organizations that have the capacity to help in some of the research that we simply do not have the capacity to do. For hmm. example, uh, there's a, a professor down at UWGB who is a, a mycologist. And that particular connection now gives us the ability to have a collaborative effort with that particular institution where they've got the facilities that we simply don't have. Hmm. And then they've got the, the ability then to help us out with some of these aspects that we, we are lacking. Okay. So I, I believe that by reaching out and having the positive response that we have had thus far, we can fill the current gaps that we've identified. Ideally, at some point in the future, we would like to be able to house 
uh, researching, visiting researching scientists, uh, uh, whether it's you know, students or grad students or uh, even postdocs, we'd like to be able to have that connection also because we do have a lot to offer in terms of our living laboratory type of situation here and the diversity that we have. But I, I truly believe that we can fill gaps that we currently have by reaching out and, and getting assistance from others. For example, the mycologist at GB, the, the guy that's really doing a great job helping us out with the inventory cure, his name is. So those are just a couple examples that we can, I think, I'm optimistic we can fill the gaps through that for right now and then more far away into uh, filling them as, as we proceed ourselves. Okay, so and a mycologist is a person studying the fungus. The fungus. Okay, yeah. so it sounds like there's going to be, especially now that you're in this position, to be able to say, "Hey, these are the areas where that we can promote." You know, we we can get people, grad students, up here to maybe they're doing a doctoral thesis on that kind of fungus or a certain type of orchid or something that the Ridges offers that no other place does. Is is that kind of what you're talking that's, about? That's our hope, Deb, yes. that we can have these outreach capabilities to not only help ourselves, again, go, I go back to my selfishness, but also <laughs> I, I do believe that the sanctuary does offer opportunities for people around the world that we have this ability to provide a diversity and a diversity of habitat. And uh, I, I think it can be a real good partnership. Okay. Well, Tony, I would say that the Ridges is very fortunate to have you. You're obviously pretty passionate, even though you are a self-defined selfish person. <laughs> what really comes across is your passion for what it is that you're doing at the Ridges. So they are very lucky to have you. Thank you very much, Deb. That's a, a wonderful compliment, but you know, it... It's uh, an area that's very easy to have passion about. Well, thank you for coming on the podcast also. Um, I you. know that we have illuminated some of the research that is being done there, and people can always stop by the Nature Center and learn about some of the things, uh, well, all of the things that are happening over there. So thank you very much, Tony, for joining us today. Thanks for the opportunity, Deb. Thank you so much for listening to the Door County Pulse podcast. If you want to support us at The Pulse, check out doorcountypulse.com slash shop, where you can get a weekly Pulse subscription, purchase some incredible Door County artwork from Pulse artist Ryan Miller, and much more. We hope you've enjoyed the Door County Pulse podcast, and we will see you next time.